Good evening. Welcome to the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Enter freely and of your own will. In this episode, you may find many strange things, for the films to be discussed are old, and they have many memories. So, be there. Be there. Hey, greetings, guys. Welcome back to the Boca Pass Horror Podcast. As always, from Boston, this is Scott. And from uh, San Pedro, California, this is Jim. I had to check for a second to make sure where I was at the moment. Where are you yeah. today? Here I am, yeah. yeah. I'm present. <laughs> Living in the confines of our minds sometimes, we could just wake up and be any place or any time right. in history. And It's all virtual anymore anyway. What <laughs> be anywhere. God only knows. But yeah, today we come back, um, leaving Universal just for a quick moment, actually going to know uh, Warner Brothers, the 1933, called the two-color Technicolor classic, the mystery of the Wax Museum. Um, God, and this is another one I feel like when we first started working on the podcast, when we were huge, you know, Lionel Atwell fans. And I remember you know, talking yeah. this one very early on and, you know, it was important for us, obviously not only to hit universal, but to, you know, go to you know, MGM and obviously in, in Warner brothers. And this is just a, this is a great one. Well, cause they all cross pollinated, you know? Um, so, uh, so for sure. And, and this is, this is honestly, I'm so psyched to do this movie. This is one of my absolute favorites from the period. I mean, th- I, this might be my favorite non-universal uh, film of the period. I just think it's, it's wild and weird and crazy and really smart and brilliant. And, and there's nothing else quite like it. I mean, the color alone, and we'll talk about the color in a bit, but, uh, but just the, the, uh, the plot and the idea of it. I'm a huge wax museum fan, by the way, anywhere I go, if there's a wax museum there, like I was up in Monterey and there's like the John Steinbeck wax museum, which is just as odd and weird as you put, as it sounds when I say that. And, uh, and I love it. And the faker, the better, but, um, but there's just some amazing work in this thing and, and we'll get into it, but like, I am, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to dig into this. I'm with you. I mean, when I first went to New York City, you know, years ago, my first stop was Madame Tussauds. I wanted to mm-hmm. see Max Museum, and then they opened one here in Boston not too long ago, and, and it was just fantastic. I've got a selfie with the Snoop Dogg wax dummy. Right. And, I mean, right. it just it's, it's great. So I don't know if the Hollywood one is still open. It, it was open for a while, and they had like they'd added a few. They'd added like Pulp Fiction and stuff by the time I went there in probably like 2008 or something like that. Um, nice. And this is before the, the two stars in, in, in on right next to the Chinese theater open. And Hollywood was the Hollywood Wax Museum was the only one on Hollywood Boulevard. But they had like, they still had like Bonanza characters up there and MASH and, and they looked nothing like the characters. <laughs> and, you, and, you know, there's a ton of tourists from like, like Scandinavia and, and, and areas like that in, sure. in Hollywood. And you got to wonder what these people, they go in here and they, they pay and they go in there with their families and their babies and their strollers. And they go in like, like who the heck is Hawkeye Pierce? Like what? <laughs> like some, from some random TV show that hasn't been on in 35 years. And now they expect to see like George Washington and they come out seeing like Goma Pyle or something. Right. No, right. Exactly. But, they, but it's like, it's like Goma Pyle, like messed up really bad. <laughs> <laughs> like 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 you went through the teleportation device with Jeff Goldblum and got screwed up somehow. Um, like, like Goma Pile after the fire at the Wax Museum. Yeah, it's just a funny, you know. And I think the Wax Museum is is a relic from another era before we could record images, um, you know, in, with photography and with film and video and and everything now, um, where where people could visit settings and scenarios from the past and and kind of feel like they were there again it, it it's like a static reenactment i guess um yeah. uh, the gettysburg one is really great too if it, i but i believe it closed down and they sold them all but i remember standing like being a little kid and standing in front of the we'll get to the movie in a second guys promise um 
standing in front of the one with Lincoln getting shot by John Wilkes Booth at Ford's Theater. And you're like, it's all posed and uber dramatic. And Lincoln's like, oh, and Mary Toddling is like, no. And, you know, whatever. Um, six number Um, So just a weird, but I, I do think it's a fascinating look back into a mentality that, that, that we take for granted now being able to watch footage of World War II or watch footage of, you know, anywhere in Africa or something like that. We have that ability now. Back in the day, no one did. Yeah. I mean, for 1933, this, oh, every time I watch it, it's, it's a very, it's very dense. I mean, there's a, it's, it's oh. a quick film, but man, there was a lot going on. There's a lot of characters. There's multiple storylines that kind of yeah. intertwine yeah. in and out of each other. It's really smart. There's like four movies going on yeah. in this movie. There's like right? a little, there's a detective movie and kind of a noir thing. And there's this kind of like really dark drug addiction film happening. Totally. And then, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and it's also got, again, it's got a great example of like a totally useless male protagonist in movie that's just standing there. And it really, it's, it's again, it's a great example of a, of a female protagonist story, but it's also, it's also a comedy too. There's also really funny stuff in it too. It's like a screwball, you know, late twenties, early thirties era comedy. It's awesome. It is. That was some of the, the, just the, the script is just really tight. It's great. So let's get right oh, yeah. into it. So of Dude. course, Borgo Pass favorite Lionel Atwell. I always want to, I look at him like, Oh, you know, Igor, but Ivan Igor, if you're Ivan Igor, if you're a young Frankenstein fan, no, no, it's pronounced Igor. So if yes. I call him, I'm going to call him Igor. I guarantee you at some point during this podcast, I meant Probably. to say Igor. <laughs> um, so he is, uh, you know, the, the main, I'll come the main villain. Yes. Um, Fay Ray, of course, from King Kong fame as Charlotte Duncan. Um, I'll call him the wonderful, the spunky Glenda Farrell. She's just, oh, man. man, does she pop off the screen here? This um, is her movie. This oh, is my God. Her, and I looked and I don't know if she ever got to play like a character of this degree again. I think she often played like the funny girl in, in you know, situation in the comedies and stuff like that. But she just she rocks this man. I love it. I mean. Exactly. I mean, at a time where there's so much, you know, I'll say female actresses that are kind of milk toast and they, you know, they're uh-huh. underpaid by, you know, they like Daughters of Dracula. Like, so a lot of these, um, actually, that's a bad example. Cut that. Love you. Because <laughs> 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 Daughters of Dracula is Daughters Daughters Dracula. great. Daughters of Dracula is a great female. Protector. That's a whole different really. Yeah, that's yeah, no, that's great. One. So, you know, I guess my point being is, um, yeah, I mean, in a male dominated world, especially in, you know, in the news and the press and the police, she owns every room she walks into, she every does, gathering does, of the men. Man. She holds court and it's, it's such a wonderful thing. And um, I say, God bless any guy that could, uh, you know, get with her and be with her, but she is keep up with her. Yeah. Oh my God. What a spitfire. The dialogue's like machine gun dialogue. She's great. uh, She's just, she's really, really good. And um, I guess we'll mention this being a, I mean, obviously a a pre-code slash, you know, post-code movies that we cover. This is obviously pre-code and, um, Most definitely. You know, oh, yeah. We'll, we'll certainly get into it. But um, one thing I had mentioned before I saw this years and years ago, I remember seeing um, it was the remake with um, Vincent Price. Right. House of Wax. Yeah. The House of Wax. And um, it was interesting. So some of the um, being a postcode, they mentioned, we'll get there. Like, there's a character in um, the Mystery of the Wax Museum who has issues with drugs. And I guess mm. being a, a code thing, they weren't able to mention drugs as, as alcohol, which I thought was right. kind of interesting. In the, they had to sanitize the that, yes. Yeah. So just this, so this one has all this stuff about, I mean, drug addiction and suicide and it's dark. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and things they just couldn't touch. So it, it feels in a weird way, it feels more present than something like House of Wax. It's interesting. Yeah, which, is, exactly. which I, I like House of Wax. It's a great film. I love Vincent Price films and stuff. I This is my favorite of the two, though. This I, I think this is a superior film. Absolutely. No, there's no doubt about it. So why don't we open right up? So we are in London, and it is a rainy night, and we're in a wax museum. And, and right off the bat, we meet uh, Ivan Igor for the first time, and he's a sculptor, and he's working on this beautiful, large 
um, topless female bust and, you know, doing what he can again, pre-code love it. Mm. Um, and he's given a private tour to a, a friend as a doctor, uh, Rossman and, um, it's like an investor, yes. um, and kind of going around the, the museum, kind of showing him his different works of art. There's a Joan of Arc, um, Voltaire, um, and of course, you know, his favorite, um, Marie Antoinette, which yes. gets a little, little creepy, but I mean, clearly live model as, um, uh, Feyre, because we meet for the first time. So you, I guess one of the fun games you can do it as a watcher is kind of look around the wax museum and try to determine, and it's not that hard, but I was going to say, try to determine who are the live actors and who are the actual yes. wax dummies. Cause there's, there's a lot of live or, you know, actors playing wax dummies in this. I think, I think, I think it's fair to say, yeah, it's, it's, it's probably at least half and half. I definitely think they, the, the, the other settings are so typical, uh, like French revolution settings and death of Marat and everything that I do feel like Warner brothers at least borrowed or rented or hired someone to do, um, some very typical, uh, uh, wax wax model setups like little dioramas and stuff. So some of them are very much like like I feel like they could have gone somewhere and gotten them and borrowed them and brought them back and stuff. But the the featured ones are definitely and you can I think the fun game fun uh, drinking games to look and see every time one of the model one of the wax guys moves just a little bit. Feyre does move a tiny bit in some she of these does. scenes. It's funny, yeah, yeah, you can tell. But Fair. I think the other ones were um were probably uh, uh they're probably um mimes they hired or something like that. It's people who were very good at staying incredibly still. Yeah. I mean, there's a queen at one point, she's like sitting really still in her little chair, but yeah, yeah. I think uh fairy might've had a couple of too many, maybe cups of coffee or something. <laughs> she's, she's flinching a little bit and doing her yeah. thing, but I mean, yeah. just exquisite to look at. She's a, you know, beautiful Marie uh, Antoinette. And uh, yeah. yeah, right off the bat, we kind of got to a little insight on, um, Igor's, um, I'll call it his perversion, I guess. He he has a little bit too intimate a relationship with his wax figures. And 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 let's let's be clear, at this point in the movie, all of these figures, we're joking around about the, the actors portraying them, but at this point in the film, in, in, within the context of the film, all the figures he's showing these guys are made of wax. They're actual dummies that he's crafted. So he's an incredibly gifted artist, right? I mean, you know, he that he can do this kind of thing before what happens to him, you know, with his hands. Um, we see that he's he's like a genius. And and the one guy says, like, what are you doing hiding your talent in this place? This is this is ridiculous. We need to, you know, so he's gonna try and, you know, the idea is like he's gonna blow him up. He's gonna like promote him and get him funding and, you know, get him probably introduced to important people and stuff. Like this is this is Igor's opportunity to like change everything. Yeah. I mean, it, he seems to work alone. He does have a partner that we get to yes. meet shortly. It's more of a, on a, a financial. He's like a business, but yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. right. Like, yeah. He's the artist. And stuff. He's yeah, the artist. Yeah, yeah. He works exactly. alone. It's his hands that are creating this. And yeah. so we learned that at one point he um, used to work with, with rock and stone and, you know, through mm-hmm. the dialogue, we learned then kind of some of his, you know, perversion that he prefers the clay because it, it represents the, you know, quote, the warmth, the yes. warmth flesh and the blood of life, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. So, so there's like the wax. Yeah. Yeah. With the wax. So, you know, again, I'll just I'll keep calling it the perversion, but it's yeah. definitely uh, a, a, something deeper seated inside of uh, Igor's head. Oh, right. Why, no, why he he's just, calls so them his children. You know, I mean, he yes. really is like he's like intimately connected with these things he's created. And. His look is incredible at this point in the movie. I mean, he he actually he looks you know he's a sculptor and he actually they they gave him this beard and he looks like Rodin or 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 Monet or somebody. He looks like what we you know have seen photos of artists in this era kind of look. Well, he's this is twenties. He's like you know a little bit after those guys, but still you know he's got that kind of pointed beard and everything and like that's you know the, the hair pulled back and stuff. Like it's funny. He 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 looks the part and he sells the part. Uh, uh, Admiral just you know 
you believe it totally that he's this guy. Well, again, I that's something I didn't really know, learn until I was a little bit older. So, I mean, as a kid, I grew up watching, you know, the Frankensteins and the Draculas and everything. And I always remembered Atwell as kind of a little bit more like the barreled bellied, you know, yeah. whatever, you know, 20, yeah. 20, 30 pounds overweight. He looks like leading man, Robert Redford material. I mean, I don't want to oversell it. But my point is, you know, you go back and you look at Lionel Atwell in 1932, 1933, he looks like a different guy. He's he's clean. He's yeah. cut. He's chiseled. He looks yeah, he's, like- a, he's like a stocky guy, but he is. Yeah, no, he has really good bone structures, you know, so. So, yeah. But, I, you know, it's just it's almost hard to, for me to watch this scene knowing what happens. It's it's tough because it sets up like, oh, man, this guy, you know, we wouldn't have a movie if that was the case, obviously. But like it looks like this guy's like, oh, he's things are going to happen for this guy. He's he's you know, going places, this, everything's going to work out awesome for him. His dreams right. are coming true. <laughs> and, then, and then very quickly, it just all goes to hell, right? It, it certainly does. And something tells me, even if everything worked out great and, you know, they went to the Royal Academy and he was, mm-hmm. you know, given all this funding, t- something tells me this Igor would have screwed it up somehow. He, he would have found a way to sabotage else. it. Yeah. yeah something yeah. like he just, he was a little bit too, too much of a, a, a strange one to probably keep it on the up and up but yeah very anyway likely. um yeah so we see kind of someone skulking outside at the house so we get to l- learn that it's um this man named joe worth who is as we mentioned um igor's business partner he's the financial guy he's the money guy right. behind all of this right the typical cigar smoking you know mm-hmm. whatever um but he you know he wears this kind of it's interesting because he wears this kind of like wide-brimmed hat and one of those coats that has sort of the half cape attached to it. I don't know what those are called. I should, I, I feel like doing what I do. I should know what those things are called that since that everyone wears in these era, in these films. But, um, but it's funny that later on spoilers, when, when Adwell becomes this kind of night stalking character, he sort of starts dressing like Joe worth dresses. It's interesting. He takes on that kind of look. It's it right. you know menacing the streets, but, um, but yeah, but Joe, I mean, you can you can sympathize with the guy. The guy is like he's put all this money into this thing, and he I think I think he maybe represents other people who've put money in, and he's in a tough spot. Keep in mind this is this is twenty one. This is before the the depression, but um, but it's still post World War One. Um, and and he just you feel like something is motivating him, and he's just like, you know what we'll solve all our money problems <laughs> we're gonna just burn the place to the ground just i didn't know where he just throws this idea at the guy yeah that's something like probably all been, your work yeah they've been struggling that's something like financially the museum's been struggling for a while and he even brings up the fact that you know the, the public is now into this whole macabre thing we've got jack the ripper oh right 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 t- tastes have changed right they're not looking for french you know philosophers anymore they're looking for like you know the macabre. They, they, they want Jack the Ripper. They want everything. And and, and right. being the the true artist, artiste, you know, I, Igor is like, oh, I, I don't do that. That's not what I do. I do this, you know. Right. Um, I, do, I do Marie Antoinette and I fall yeah. in love with, yeah. yeah. You they feel like this, this is an argument they've had a couple times. That's right. So basically he's, you know, and to your point, Joe is basically, we, we're going to go out of business. So I've got a way for us to get out of this. We're going to burn down the museum. The one thing they have left is this, this, this insurance policy, this fire insurance policy. Right. So burn everything down and, you know, we can split the, the 10,000 pounds. And, yes. you know, of course this means burning Igor's, his, yeah. his children, as you said. Yeah. Does he really think Igor is going to be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> like he, he must know the guy by now right i mean he must understand the the, the relationship he has with this work but he's right. not giving him a choice he's like no we're we're, we're doing this you know, yeah so. and even like igor says like you can't burn these people it's like yeah. he's not looking at them like pieces of work and oh right no, no. Like, he's his like his, yeah. literally his creations he's the father of these yes you know in in his mind this is this is murder 
this is murder. Exactly. Well said. Yep. Yeah. So, so, but, so, but nevertheless, you know, there's a big struggle. There's a fight, which I got to say is far superior to the fight in wax in a house of wax. I'm sorry that, (laughs) that, that, that little fight with Vincent Price and his, his other uh, actor Mm -hmm. is a little on the dorky side. Um, uh, There's definitely some stunt doubling going on here with, uh, with, with, um, um, with Adwill, at least, like it's good. It's a good match, but now in um, in in HD, you can you can actually see that it's not. But um, and the Joe Worth double is definitely not that great. But yeah, so they they fight, they they you know um, they tussle. But in the meantime, um, Joe Worth has managed to to put put the flame to some of these uh, figures. He firebombs Marie Antoinette. He takes a lantern and just chucks right. it at her dress, and she just erupts into flame. Um, that feels very that feels very personal. Right. Yeah, I, mean, oh, yeah. Joe, I mean, Joe knows how much Marie Internet means to yeah, Igor. Yeah. That seems like of, a big oh. F you to him. It's like he does it personally. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah exactly. Um, yeah. It's a great fight. Scene. I mean, they pull back sometimes and you see this. There's the whole place is going up and and there's these two little men, you know, struggling in the middle of it. Um, And, and you know, in the end, Joe, Worth, you know, despite his, what his offer was, he knocks uh, um, uh, uh, Igor out and he's like, ah, screw it. And he just leaves and he leaves him to burn. You cold. Yeah, man. I've, and so he, he's a murderer. I mean, come on, or would be murder. He locks yeah, him in. Be. He literally locks him in, like, so he can't escape. I mean, I have got the same note. This might be one of the best fight scenes of this era, really. Yeah. I mean, that I've seen, at least during this podcast. This yeah, is really, th- really well done. I mean, they Throwing do not pull back these, these stunt, you know, doubles the actors. And this is really, really good stuff. And like I said, and and then you add the flames, this burning building, and then you've got right. the close ups of these wax dummies literally melting and eyeballs falling out of you know wax skulls and heads it, falling off it, it is so oh, grotesque in a way yes. that you could never do like you could never show a human person in in this era burning like this um they do it with these these figures yeah you're right just like you said like like it's got like the eyeballs fall out yeah. and, and it's it's hideous man it is it's, um, it's, it's phantasmagoric it's really, really amazing um uh and and so you know the the scene ends and we're gonna cut to you know cut forward in time. I I want to take just a second and talk about the color in the movie um, <clears throat> to get it kind of get it out of the way because it's one of the things that sets this movie apart from so many other horror movies of this era. I, I believe as far as horror movies go, except for that little flickery uh, color scene in Phantom of the Opera, the Lon Chaney one, it's this and is it, it's Mysterious Doctor X, right? It is Doctor X it, right it, before this. It, yeah, it's, it's Doctor X. This is done. This film is done in what's what's commonly called the Technicolor two-strip process. It's a it's a predecessor to the three-step Technicolor that we know very well from you know it comes out in uh, Gone with the Wind and Robin Hood and stuff. And it's, that's where we get the glorious full range of beautiful colors. These really saturated you know sunsets in 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 uh, in, in um, uh, Gone with the Wind and and of course then Robin Hood you know his bright green tights and everything. Right. Um, this is an, a precursor to that. Um, Technicolor is trying to figure out how to do color at this point still and it's a process and they go through a few iterations and this is like the this is the third iteration this is process three of technicolor and what what they they're doing is they're filming they're filming the footage in black and white i'm, I'm, I'm going to try to make this brief everybody because it's technical and probably kind of boring to some but um but i think it's important um they're filming it in, in black and white and they're running the the they're splitting the the image that's being recorded on the camera two ways and one goes through a red filter and one goes through a green filter um the red filter filters out anything red that 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 is being you know seen in through the camera lens and the green filters out anything green then they they 
they split that into two ne- two negatives that they're recording. So they're shooting like two strips. So it, it, it starts getting a little bit like the way 3D used to be done. Um, but then there's this weird thing where in the emulsion, when they're developing it, they're developing the the red uh, uh, foot, the red tinted thing. So it's filtered everything red, but they're d- developing it through cyan color, like a greenish blue. And then they're <laughs> developing the green through through uh, a, a, a red orange uh bath so it's like dye so it's dyeing the emulsion then they, they basically slap the, the, these two pieces of footage together and print them together um what you're what the result of it i mean the result right scott i mean there, nothing looks like this this is just this really unique color that comes out of it and you get these amazing these like peachy uh colors and then these amazing saturated blue greens but but it still kind of looks it it ends up looking like colorized black and white footage which is it basically is because the shadows are still black. There's no color in the shadows. So it just, it has this surreal look that, that is, it's actually not realistic. It's kind of a, an optical trick that mimics the way our IC color, our IC color, but it's not true color. It's almost like, I hate to say it, it's like an Instagram filter laid on top of it, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the most modern equivalent I could come up with. Um, but but what you're left with is this amazing, unique look that that again, like like only they only did like two dozen films in this process, and then they it it kind of it was very expensive. Um, it didn't excite moviegoers the way they thought they were going to, so it didn't increase sales. And a lot of these films were destroyed. Warner Brothers is one of the few studios that kind of kept and preserved these things because Technicolor honestly just threw away most of them at at one point. Yeah, um, I mean that's something I learned just doing doing research for this is that the people for the most part hated this because you said it, yeah. it was not realistic the folk people again 1933 1932 1934 they would rather look watch a black and white film understanding that you know it's just it's a black and white than watching an unrealistic these two-tonal odd shades yeah. of for in their movies yeah uh, and I, the people, the people spoke, and like you said, it was very expensive to do. Spoke with their wallets, yeah, and, yeah. and didn't go, yeah. And so Technicolor abandoned it, and we went a few more years before you get in towards the late '30s, and then of course you now, like in '39, like I said, you're getting like you know Galtawin and stuff, and and by then Technicolor had mas- mastered the process. Um, yeah, ha- it was it was very expensive to do, it was cumbersome, did the you know, and a process. Um, I think I think the the a really good modern equivalent to it is is you know Peter Jackson released the first Hobbit movie in that high frame rate thing, and and in general the public was like. No, <laughs> right. We don't, this is not what, how, the way we want to watch our movies. It it looked very video and plasticky, and and it kind of was hard on your eyes. It was. Yeah. I think the process wasn't there yet. I think it'll get there eventually with high frame rate and stuff. We're gonna we're gonna see that kind of thing. But um, but it and but Technicolor just wasn't quite ready uh to to do this this the right way and stuff like that. So, but what we're left with is this very unique looking movie. Um, uh, that that you know, thankfully, um, uh. Is it it's UCLA? Yeah, it's UCLA and the George Lucas Family Foundation. Um, the the version I'm watching is the, is the I don't know you, you two Scott. It's the the Warner Brothers Archive Blu-ray that just came out last Correct. year. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would I would recommend this version of it. There's a there's a crappy DVD version that came out when the 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 Paris Hilton version of House of Wax came out. <laughs> Remember that a couple of years ago? <laughs> I certainly do. Um, they dumped this on on DVD in a pretty poor state. And there's a there's a um there's a little documentary on this DVD on this Blu-ray of uh, the restoration process they went through and how laborious and, and the, the, they found um, footage from different sources and they found footage in, in Europe and stuff and they put it together. And this, this, this version looks incredible. It does. It looks much better than probably the first time I saw this might've been 25, 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. Much, much better. I mean, again, I'm not a huge, huge fan of 
the tutorial. I'm just, I'm kind of old school. I like my, you know, my thirties horror black and white. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, I, I mean, I can get through this. I, they, I think they did a nice job at attempting to restore this. It's not, it doesn't take me out of the film, but no. um, you know, I can see why people at the time just kind of turned, turned some folks off. Um, but, I think so. I think it's just like anything new and stuff like that. But, uh, but I'm just, I'm thankful this exists. Yeah. I think I, I downloaded this or I downloaded this. Ha <laughs> I, I taped it. <laughs> I videotaped it off of uh, TCM when it was on in like the late nineties or something like yeah, that. So that's yeah. the first time I saw it. So I obviously saw it in like 400, 480 DPI or something, something terrible. So yeah, yeah, it's glorious that this is here. And, and I'm grateful that those guys, uh, again, we, I bought my disc. No one, no one's, no one gives us these discs to uh to 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 compliment or anything like that i bought oh, yeah. my hard-earned paper money but uh that's right oh that's great i appreciate you uh you know digging into that and kind of giving a, a descriptor of what's yeah. what we're seeing here on screen because it is very different context, so on, yeah yeah no, that was great. It, so one of us was spending some money on this 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 was a serious endeavor that they're doing you know just a few years after obviously you know frankenstein and dracula are really popular um warner brothers is going okay how do we get into this thing and here's maybe something we can do that sets us away from different R- sure. what R- rko is doing and, and everybody else right sure all right so now it is uh 1933 right 33 new york city new year's. new year's eve so about 12 years after um we had left mr igor to die we think in a flame or in, in a, a, right. a burning wax museum and Sure enough, first frame after we see people celebrating on the streets, Igor watching from atop a very high apartment window, kind of keeping an eye on the festivities. So he's alive. He's alive. Mm-hmm. He's alive. If I can he's quote alive. Colin. A little bit older, a little bit more weathered, of course. We this, see him alive. First of all, we see this digital type clock, which is really a neat little effect that they do. And they do. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah. New, New York Express, 1933. And there's, you know, there's there's confetti and, and ticker tape and all the other stuff that they used to do and it's it's a neat um it's a neat glimpse into like oh this is yeah they're representing the way you would have celebrated new year's in 33 and it's like it looks it looks kind of like a lot of fun except like there's blast. ambulances roaring around and yeah kind of a mess right though like <laughs> well they show right exactly all the confetti like on the streets after it, it looks like a total health hazard but yeah no exactly everyone's anyway stuff. it's you know it's just all made out of asbestos right you just know <laughs> But we're basically kind of getting into a a little murder mystery subplot here of the movie. So we learn that through a newspaper flash that a model named Joan Gale, we think has committed suicide. At least that's the running, the running belief. Right. Um, So fast forward quite a bit after that into a morgue where we've got mutician or um, morticians um, kind of bring in, we're assuming the body of Joan Gale in for embalming and um, basically her. They're they're going to perform an autopsy, I guess. And then, um, Oh God, we get to see this, what we think is a man in a monster mask, we'll call it. Right. After the morticians have, <laughs> have left the room and have left the body of Joan Gale alone um, underneath one of the morticians tables under um, a sheet, this gentleman, we assume, in a monster mask kind of pops up and basically steals the body of, of Joan kind of elaborately, by the way, pushes, <laughs> pushes the table to an open window, yeah, ties, ties the body with rope and like literally pushes it out the window and kind of, you know, slowly lowers it yeah. to the ground. So it's quite a, quite an interesting way to steal a body, I guess. That, that, it's one way to do it. And he, you know, he dumps it down the, the, the thing. Um, before that we do have, we have this with little scene with, uh, um, a guy walking through the streets and he's, you know, walking the thing. Um, and, and he's, you know, we see him from behind, he's wearing a bowler now and stuff like that. But, but I think pretty quickly we realized this is Joe worth, right? So Joe worth has, so, so what we're set up with is all, you know, Joe worth as well as, um, Ivan Igor have both em- immigrated to New York now in the past couple of years, um, Joe Worth seems to be running some kind of like very shady affair. 
right? Yeah. I think it's the best we can we can say about it. He hasn't changed his his spots too much. Yeah, I'm sure he took the you know the insurance money from the, the fire, and he's starting some business. We'll learn you know what he's actually doing a little bit later. But yeah, yeah he's got the the derby, the cigar. All he needs is like the cane to flip around his hand. He is he's the bad guy. He's he's right. got his little cronies around him, and right. so Joe right. Worth is up to up to no good. Yes, no, exactly. Um, so so we we find out what's what's happening there. Yeah, so we so we have this body scene. I love I love the body snatching scene, man. It's it's there's no music really like it you know and it, it, it exists just in these things and then this first time you see him again i mean you know i, I agree with you I'm, i i love all the old black and whites and stuff like that but for something like this i think that the way the color works on uh uh the 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 what do we call him the the monster igor version or something right um, monster igor sure yeah monster igor um the way the greens and the oranges kind of like bounce up up off of him and stuff like that really really gives it, it does highlight his face and it, and it highlights these like the burn you know you know appearance of the thing so yeah it does look like he was wearing a mask it, it is a little if if the film has a, a has a negative I, I i would say that i it would how do i say this in a nice way it would have been nice if jack pierce had done the makeup for, for mm-hmm. lionel adwell right i think it would have come off a little less mask like it would have been it would have felt like he was actually burned and, and reduced right now it does seem like lionel adwell has just a big heavy thing on his on his head yeah and i mean at this point without giving away a spoiler quite yet we're meant to believe this is a mask so it's we can go with it okay it's kind of a a nasty little monster mask but yeah i mean he's god he you know just dumps his body out of out a window in new york city you know no fear i guess of anybody i'm assuming it must be like in a little a little alley or something but you know no fear of being caught you know very um god yeah i mean no no fear in him at all so well this guy's got his own little minions as well kind of waiting to to get it and stuff and and then we find out these these are the people that work for him and he's he's employed certain shady characters to help in in his process and stuff but we don't know you know what's nice is we don't know what the the plan is yet the 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 movie does leave us kind of you know waiting to see you know okay what's what's the purpose of of this body stash and stuff right we can fast forward you let's get right into um florence dempsey so we meet her for the first time and (laughs) oh my god what i don't know what else to say about her just a little little firecracker and um god like you said you almost have to like watch this movie in like halftime to understand all of her lines because man when she gets into some dialogue especially like with the her newspaper yeah. editor and it's like yeah. what did what did they say it's like yeah, Jimmy, her guy you're like yeah no no isn't it funny i mean she it's just I'm, it's machine I'm, gun and it and a lot of it is um it's definitely uh 30s era slang too so i love it in terms and stuff you know um uh one or two of them are a little bit uh outdated is the nicest way you could say it but but for the most part, no, it's it's just pretty innocuous and funny. And but but you know, she has this with the cops too, where she walks in and she's like, Hey, how's your sex life? And stuff. And just, I remember being <laughs> being younger and so watching this, like, oh, nobody, nobody deleted that. Hang on. Like, I'm sure, I'm sure that was deleted. I'm sure there's a lot of that stuff was was cut out of uh some of the screenings in you know different parts of America for the, for this film. I'm sure some of that didn't remain intact. Uh the local theaters probably would have cut some stuff out. But for the most part, you know, no, it it rips through. Um yeah, I just uh, so 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 Florence is a reporter um, for the is it the Daily Gazette is the name of it? I can't remember the name of the the, the newspaper in the movie, but she's got this editor um, who's who's basically tired of her crap, right? And I can't blame him. I think working with her would be exhausting. As good as she probably is at her job, um, I can't imagine working with her would be pleasurable. I'd get to, I, I was tired of you know within five minutes of just listening to her. But anyway, be, she, yes, she does so tend she, to. She sort of sucks the air out of the room, right? Absolutely, but. <laughs> 
yeah, Jim, the editor and, um, and, and Florence have this, you know, kind of this back and forth. So basically Florence is on the verge of losing her job. She hasn't brought yes. in a story in a little while. And, you know, yeah. the editor is like, I'm trying to run a business here. Right. If you don't bring me a story for the next edition of the paper, you're gone. So yeah. she's now on for kind of final, final warning, right. um, which sets her off to, it sounds like she's kind of a, you know, a, a girl about town knows everybody. So her first place she goes is the police station. And again, knows yes. all the officers walks in. Yeah. How's, how, how's your sex life to the officer who's like sitting yeah, down yeah. reading like a, a lingerie magazine or something. Right. Um, there, there's also, there, there seems to be a bit of a subplot that she's a little bit drunk on, on new year's Eve here. So the, the, she started partying a little early during business mm-hmm. hours. There's a little bit of, there's a few suggestions where later on she starts getting a headache because I think she's sobering up a bit. So there's an idea that this entire time she's a little bit inebriated. She's where she's trying to solve the mystery of the, the yeah. wax museum. Right. So basically she kind of got a, a little bit of an end. So until the, the police, one of the officers that she's on her you know, last legs at the paper, and they kind of give a little bit of an in that they're researching the death of uh, Gail. And it right. may not necessarily be a suicide. So that, yes. of course, you know, has a bell going off in her head. This may be her way of you know, salvaging a job and coming in with a really meaty story. Now, so, yeah, now, now it's a good story that she's going to try and get. Um, right. Uh, we do have a scene where we do see the the body of the the um of, of Joan Gale being delivered to this like great, crazy, creepy looking basement by these guys. And um Joe Worth is there and he's about to whatever. So so the one guy shows up to him and and um um he's definitely coming down off of something. I, I think the idea is it's 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 probably morphine or heroin at this point. Um and and Joe Worth tells one of his he's got this great other was one of his minions is this tall, bald guy who's kind of old and he looks like Frankenstein. I remember thinking in the old days he always looks like yeah, all he the looks mute. like the monster. He could have played yeah. him, yeah. yeah. Um but he he kind of he's basically paying a lot of his people in drugs like that's that's what they're working for him in, in exchange for yeah a, a fix um again again you know dangerous characters yeah no i feel like i mean i i go and joe worth it they're kind of employing some of the same guys here and probably paying them with drugs like this morphine addict is kind of doing double duty for for both guys well i think I, and i'll we'll, we'll jump forward a, a little bit here and, and and spoil a few things but i i think what's going on i think igor is actually employing joe worth but joe worth doesn't realize he's working for igor he knows he's snatching bodies but he doesn't know who's getting him i think he's only had contact with the the burned version of igor so, I, right. so igor's playing him I, the, the whole and i only I, I mean i probably saw the film 13 times before i kind of really realized this is like like igor's entire plan is to get revenge on joe worth he's tr- he's come here he's opening up a wax museum and he's he's using dead bodies and he's doing the whole wax thing and it's it's kind of a sting operation to try and get revenge on joe worth that's kind of his that's his main goal aside from i think you know re re um reestablishing himself as the artist that he he was and stuff you know reopening the wax museum's a motivation but really he's after this guy that did this to a man it's it's a very long burning revenge story and maybe it's a little subtle in the film and that's why it's easy to kind of miss in the midst of all the more exciting wax murders stuff. and this is what i meant you know during the opening here this is a very dense dense film like the 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 storyline is is it's deep like I mean, yeah. so Joe Worth basically at this point is, at least from on the public eye, he's a bootlegger. So yes. for him moving around all these boxes and they're full of, you know, alcohol and whiskey right, right, right. And the whole thing. Um, so it's, yeah, God, we, we are still in, in the prohibition era at this point. So that's, that's a, you know, right. 
salient point of what's going on. Um, so they they we go to there's the there's the autopsy happening, and yeah, and Florence is kind of coming down herself too. It's fun. It's funny we just had a scene about a guy coming down off of off of you know you know drugs, and she herself is sobering up and having a hangover, and she's like holding <laughs> ice to her head and stuff. Meanwhile, she's here with this body. Um, uh, and so there's this idea that that Joan Gale possibly didn't uh, 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 intentionally commit suicide, at least that she she uh, had an overdose. Right. That seems to be the belief of the coroner. And mm-hmm. I guess to, to prove it, they were going to examine her body again. And sure enough, they find it stolen. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 Interesting. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, so that's what she's she's there for. So so this is what propels her. Oh, you know, Jane, Jane, Joan Gale's body's been stolen. So is the idea that that through through Joe Worth did did, did Ivan did Ivan Igor had he because she's a because Joan Gale's like a famous model. So did did Ivan Igor see her? Really, she looks like Joan of Arc. Knows she did drugs. Have Joe Worth intentionally overdose her or give her bad drugs or something like that so that she would overdose so she would die so he could get the body. Is, is this like is this the big circuitous plan that he's doing? Like that's it's crazy. That's the way I, I mean, that's absolutely the way I read it. And it's like, right. once you get into the scene or once you get into the movie, you know, he basically, you know, someone has a line like the whole wax museum is a morgue. All of these wax dummies. Yeah. Yeah. The whole bodies. place is a morgue. So, yeah, it's great. And, it's all a morgue. It should have been a morgue. So it makes total sense that he saw the resemblance between, you know, Gail to, yeah, absolutely kill that's her. That's my Joan of Arc. I need to, I need that's to right. get her body while exactly. she's still young and, and she can do it. Um, it. It's one of those cases where I, first of all, I think there was, there, and I, I've seen some some stills that lead me to pretty be sure that I think there's a lot of this film that didn't make it into the into the cut. Um, that I think maybe would further explain some of those you know you know stories and stuff. Um, but in general, I think I mean while the I, Michael Tre- hey Michael Curtis directed this and he did Robin Hood and Casablanca. There, there was no one better than that guy, man. Um, he mm-hmm. he was a, he's a master. He's one of our great American filmmakers, even though he's not from America. But anyway, but he also saved uh, Peter Lorre. If I think we mentioned that in another podcast, that Lorre was was the SS was coming for Peter Lorre. Absolutely, he played yeah. um, M. He played a child killer in M. He played a degenerate German. Apparently, Hitler was after that guy, yeah. and Michael Curtis uh, paid to get him out and arranged to get him out of uh, Germany and saved his life. And now we have Peter movies thanks to him otherwise hitler would have killed the dude um you imagine right crazy um anyway um it's uh, my point is it, it's possible the 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 script is smarter than the film a little bit you know like there's more going on and it doesn't all get translated into the 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 the, the movie version mm-hmm. of the script and stuff so you you kind of tell like like some subplots and it's not anyone's fault because there's just there's probably just too many subplots happening <laughs> You're reading my mind exactly where I was going to go, Jim. So now we're going to get into, so the body's stolen and the police are trying to put a suspect to, you know, the suicide murder, whatever you want to call it, introduce this character, George Winton, who I, I mean, I, I have issues with this, this character to me, like he was never really, um, Uh never really fleshed out. So he's basically just the, he's a son of a power, a powerful industrialist and basically the scapegoat. He's the, the primary suspect for Gail's suicide murder whatever the heck you want right. to call it right. um basically he's the only, the only reason he's in the film is, and again spoiler alert we'll get to the very end where we there's a crossroads between florence picking money and love and they needed somebody who would represent money yes right? i mean to me and that always kind of bugged me like don't have him in this film here like there's plenty I, of other characters i'd almost happily edit that out he, he's a 
he's a bit of a red herring. And then she sort of employs him as her second buddy, right? Yeah, it's like her driver. Yeah. He's her driver and stuff like that because he owes her because she kind of helps him, whatever. Um, yeah. The actor, I, I don't have his name in front of me, but you, the actor who plays George Wynn, George you know who else he, he played, right? Oh, do tell. He's Lord Byron in Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, no kidding. I did not know and that. I read Jehovah. He's the rolling R guy. Yeah, that's him. No I, shit. I, wow. And I've seen this movie a bunch of times until the last time I was like, who's that guy? That guy's voice is so damn familiar. Oh, and my God. Bride of Frankenstein. Like, who's he in Bride of Frankenstein? He's one of the hunters. He's like, holy crap. He's he's Lord Byron. Oh, wow. How did yeah. I not know that? Great. I write Jehovah. Anyway. Right. <laughs> That's one of the greatest performances. It rolls so, over you, on my tongue. you can't be too big playing Lord Byron. He's so big. <laughs> he's like, but you're like, that's probably kind of what Lord Byron kind of was like. So it's okay. yeah. anyway. You go from playing Lord Byron to driving you know, Florence, the, the newswoman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. To playing this like play, useless playboy, right? Yeah. Um, exactly. It's great. I think th- this movie reminds me more of House of Horrors than it does any other horror movie. It's it's that same, it's kind mm-hmm. of like a crime drama. There's a reporter, you know, yeah. a female reporter main character. There's a lot of similarities between this, and that's why I, I love both of the movies. Yeah, there's definitely parallels for sure. Just just doesn't so, have Rondo Hatton. Exactly. <laughs> well, the mute the mute in this movie kind of reminds me of Hatton a little bit. A little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who would be that. played by uh, Charles Bronson in the uh in the House of Wax, yes. right? So yeah, so George Winton. So basically now we're introducing Florence, a news reporter to George Winton. So she's now on the case of trying to solve the suicide murder of Joan Gale. So and you know, understands through the police that they have a suspect. So she goes and meets George Winton, who's now being held in jail and just using her, you know, intuitions as a reporter, believes that he is not, he didn't do it. He's right. innocent and blah, blah, blah. So basically now she'd like to kind of work to get him off and the whole thing. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I just, get him released. Get him released. Yeah. Again, this whole subplot, I just it never, it never, ever, ever worked for me. Um, yeah, I, I don't. I maybe don't buy their thing. I, I she seems. I mean, I think the uh, in, in indication is that she's kind of smitten with him a little bit. She feels bad for him, but that evolves into something else. But um, I'd be okay with it if it just didn't end with her giving up her career for, for to to be a, a rich dude's wife. Uh, that's the part that bugs me. But it's, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, and it's funny because you know the 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 actress playing Florence is like I you know first of all we are what 20 some minutes into the movie and we haven't met Faye Ray yet even <laughs> there's the whole the whole first act of the film she's not even in it's really fascinating it's, it's for someone who's who's top build almost right exactly I know um again you, you said it before this is Glenda Farrell's film yeah who plays yeah. Florence this is absolutely she is the the she is like I mean she could be top build in this in this film you you, you it, it had had she had the same name recognition as Faye Ray did at the time with does this film come it's 33 does it come out after King Kong or before I wonder god I, I want to say this is I think this is after King Kong I feel but, like it's after so so of yeah. course Faye Ray gets gets bumped up and stuff because she'd also she'd done um the most dangerous game right before yeah. King Kong and Lionel Latwell well, too. Lionel at this time, Lionel was a huge star, huge mm-hmm. star. Well, he Hollywood. was kind of Paramount's guy. I mean, they didn't yeah. have, you know, Carla for anybody like that as, as, as much as, as universal did. So the, uh, he was one of their go-to dudes. Yeah. Late twenties, uh, early thirties, Lionel, his name was as bright as anybody in Hollywood. Yeah. He's Dr. X before, before some of the, uh, the, uh, uh, compromising mm-hmm. stories and things in, in, in court cases came out. Yeah. So he was, he, yeah. he, was, he, was, a, he was a thing. And, you know, I, I think because of that, I think his name is, is become less well-known than, than a lot of his 
you know, peers, so like Reigns and everybody. But you know, the guy worked a lot, man. He's in a lot of state. He's, he's very talented. He's, to, he's uh, great. He is great. Thing. Yeah. If so, he can separate um, separate man from from product. I mean, I guess he, you have to almost you have to do that with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you just had to look at a context of this guy who lived, you know, kind of semi closeted and in, in, mm-hmm. in the era and stuff, and you know, had to you know, live a lie and everything. Um, uh, well, now, sorry, before now, we before we move too far along, I, one and this is the line I picked up the last time I watched the film. So I think it was um florence when she's talking to, you know in the jail cell that basically she's saying that eight now eight bodies have been stolen in the last 18 months from right this morgue it's like who the f- like do, <laughs> do you have like do you need more additional security at this morgue right, so right i right, learned right. that's like eight bodies have been stolen and then i'm thinking back to the scene he literally walks in rolls a body to the window dumps the body out the window on a piece of rope and drives away. Yeah. Is it any surprise that, I mean, like, at, at what point did you just hire a security guard, right? Exactly. Right. I mean, after, after the seventh yeah. time, maybe you have like security and <laughs> the, second the second time. No, now we're in, now we're on the eight bodies. Eight bodies yeah, have already yeah. been stolen. It okay. Was, now it's six. Should we hire someone? Nah, nah it's all right. <laughs> It'll probably stop on its own. Um, I just, I find that hilarious to, yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Um, uh, you were talking about you know, separating the man from 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 the work, but but you know, we we go here to um, the preparations are going on for uh, Ivan Igor's new um, wax museum that he's opening up here in in Manhattan. Um, you know, playing off the idea that he was this celebrated guy back in in, in the old country. Now he's come here and and he's uh, going to you know uh, uh, reopen for the public. Um, but he's you know, so so now Ivan Igor is, is in a wheelchair. Um, his hands are very badly burned. Yeah. Um, and and he has these kind of like uh, guards that, that they go under. Um, he continually apologizes when he shakes people's hands. He says, you know, my apologies for these poor appendages and stuff. Um, but the you know his face is. I, I think he's supposed to look a little scarred and messed up, but he honestly looks pretty good. I mean, he just he looks older and he's gray bearded and gray haired now and everything. Um, yeah, I mean, without um, giving without giving the final reveal of the film, like he right. does, he looks. I mean, not quite burned, but he looks you know maybe sick or he, yeah yeah he has um which which he needs to because the the idea is spoilers um he has replicated his own face he's 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 done a wax somehow version of his own face that he's put on top of the scarred version of his face this is his actual look um that somehow is mobile and can talk and you know smile you know all the all these things he, he's created a perfect mask for himself that to make himself look un, unburned because the truth is he's he's burned all over his body um, right and again that's the ultimate and we'll get there that's kind of the ultimate reveal at the end of the movie is yes. yeah this hideous guy who you thought was just wearing a mask is for a disguise yeah. is the actual face of, of igor and it, it and is the, grossly the, hideous I mean, and the face is the actual mask that's how right. they, he, he tricks everybody um the thing he so so he's but the, but what you realize is that he he, he does he, he can't hide the fact that his hands are, are are not capable of doing the fine work that they used to be able to do so he's had to hire a bunch of people to to create his his the recreations of his wax figures and he's hideously abusive to them he is he's the worst boss he's mean as heck he he's constantly insulting of everybody's the, like he challenges the fact that they're, he calls them they're not even artists or whatever. He, you know, he he just he just mocks them constantly. You just wonder why would you want to work for this? Guy? Yeah, I mean, they seem to have. Issues. So we've got obviously the mute who we we talked about. Yeah, we have the professor who has a drug addiction who becomes right. a, you know a, he plays more into the, the movie later yes. on, yes. and this guy Ralph who's kind of just another milk toast, you know. David Manners yeah. type who yes. doesn't really fit the the bill of who, the other folks that he, that Igor is hired. Like everyone else seems to, you know, I don't want to say to be dependent, but almost unemployable by, 
by other people, like a drug right, addict and right, a mute. Right, and then this right, guy, right, Ralph, right. who by all accounts seems to be just a normal guy. Yeah. Yeah. Who's who, you know, we, we, so he, he's talking to him um, and, and insulting his work. And, and Ralph has created this kind of female nude statue that I assume is, is to be cast in wax for the thing. And there's a certain stiffness and a certain unrealisticness of the work. So you can see like, like, you know, Igor is, is obsessed with this absolute fidelity to the human form and realism. That's, that's the kind of thing he does. And um, Ralph, Ralph's statue of the woman, her arms kind of extra long and stuff like that. She, she kind of looks like a weird store mannequin kind of, mm-hmm. um, so you can kind of see, <laughs> you know, what, what his, his complaints are. Um, again, uh, the, so the professor comes in and, and Igor's like, okay, now you're all going to see what a real artist does you know like so 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 the idea is this professor is he's kind of like an outside contractor i guess igor ostensibly employs to do to do uh figures for him um but but you realize that the professor is the, is the guy who's all smacked out um right and, and the joe worth is having to buy off with with drugs and stuff and he looks smacked out he's he's not in great shape no not at all but yeah he is <laughs> he is the talent and we learn that you know any you know god like the the marie Antoinette you know, or the jo- I should say the the Joan of Arc. Yeah, he brings um, in Joan of Arc. Dummy yeah. was created by this by this professor, and on oh, no, a line a line during um I forget I might have been in the scene here that he that Igor uses. He basically you know he looks at you know the mute and Ralph and everything. He says, "quote You people without souls should have the hands." Basically saying you know. And it reminded me of like a Dr. Frankenstein yeah, or Henry yeah. Frankenstein, you know, this creator of life. Like you, 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 you people that he, have the use of your hands he, and you see your extremities them, yeah, don't have he, any, don't have the yeah. souls, almost don't have the right, right to create life. These, this wax life. Yeah. Right? He's challenging their, their right to be artists even, which is really, really yeah. caustic, man. Um, but, uh, but, but going but, back but, to the fact that he doesn't look at these things as just wax dummies. Like he's, these people are supposed to be creating life. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, no, you're, you're, I see what you're saying. You're absolutely right. It's, it's not about, yeah, you're, it's not about just like building a figurine. It's about bringing life to something. And that's why you're right. It's like this very Frankensteinian kind of, kind of thing that, that he's doing is he, he believes that he's in, in somehow killing people and, and molding them in wax. Then he believes he's, he's giving them everlasting life somehow. He's going to preserve them forever yeah. or something like that. And, that that's his, and falls in love with them. Yes, I mean, especially yes. Marie Antoinette, and um, yeah. yeah, he has this 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 odd kinship to the to the wax dummy. Yeah, mostly the women. I mean, he's he's mostly attracted to the women dummies. He's not he doesn't fall in love with Balzac or anybody, right? <laughs> or, or Voltaire. It's Voltaire. He doesn't not fall in love with Voltaire. Not in the version that I saw, but yeah, yeah, he's he's mostly despite despite uh, Adwell's uh, uh, bisexuality, he's, <laughs> the character himself is mainly attracted to the female. Um, uh, but it's. The the film it does a great thing where you look at this this professor character that it's, his name is Professor Darcy and you look at how shaky he is and then you see this amazing dummy that he's creating you're like yeah he didn't do that <laughs> <laughs> sums up here we, we know and we've already seen the picture of Joan Gale so the the what's fun is the uh, as the audience you're a little ahead of everyone else in the story in, in ahead of Florence and the cops and everybody who's investigating this you you're you're in the know and you're like oh I know what's going on here this is you know and this is I mean was there was there a movie before because now I mean I always I always go here and I don't know why but if, if, if you're if you're watching Scooby-Doo and there's wax dummies you're like I'll bet those are real people <laughs> pretending to be wax dummies it's it's part of our our culture now we just we just know that if it's a story about wax 
wax dummies. The wax dummies are probably real. There are people inside them or something like that. And it goes into, you know, Cabin and Costello and everything after this with, with Jekyll and Hyde and everything. Um, is this the first one? Is this the first movie where, where someone was like, I'll bet you the wax dummy, they're so realistic. Cause, cause when you see a really good wax dummy, you're like, you're like you just, that looks like it could be real, right? Yeah. You wait, you're waiting for the eyes to move. And yeah, that it, it is uncanny. A really good one is really uncanny if, if you've never seen one, guys. And I absolutely want to ask you just for your opinion, James, like throughout this movie and we, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but there's times when like either Florence is walking around or Charlotte, who we're about to meet is walking around the, the wax museum. And then you just have these eyeballs inside the dummies move. Like who the right. hell? Who right. What is that about? What is that about? Do you know? No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think the people inside there, them are, are alive. So I don't know how that's happening. I, I, is, is it, well, there's one where the mute is, is, you see his you see a bunch of whack dummy heads and you see the mute and then he he looks up or something like that right it's, it's right at the so end one if he just says like and cronies that are yeah like cronies that are like just like wax makeup all day long right. just keeping an eye on things right you you actually think it might be cheaper to hire people that could stand there still and be your wax dummies than it would be to go through this whole process of killing people right <laughs> maybe it just... would be nearly as fun but yeah i guess yeah, it'd probably be more expensive you can you couldn't pay them in in, in junk but um yeah True. but anyway no it's it's a fun the Again, you know, the, the film's called The Mystery of the Wax Museum, and it is, and it's a really good mystery. It lives up to that title, as opposed to, you know, She Wolf of London. <laughs> Does not live up to the title. Touche. Touche. So do you point, Jim? We've got a, you know, I don't know if it's a 70-minute movie, so we're probably 25 minutes in. I'd say yes. approaching the halfway mark, and we finally, finally meet Fay Ray. Right. Doing, next... doing calisthenics. And calisthenics. <laughs> It's showing off the legs, legs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we get to learn that um, uh, Florence and Charlotte are roommates. And just, you know, it's kind of some fun banter about men. And, you know, Charlotte is more of the the romantic. She's going to marry this guy, Ralph, who works for the museum because she loves him. It's very, very old school. She doesn't care about money or belongings where uh, Florence is all about, you know, show me the money. I would never fall in love with anybody that couldn't provide, you know, provide a nice lucrative life. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But, but we also get the idea that Florence is a little bit more of a free spirit as well. She, she, she can kind of, she kind of uses men a bit, I think. And, and we see her do it in, in this, in the, in in the film with, with the, uh, with the, the young son of the, the, industrialist guy yeah i mean they kind of stuff it down our throat here that florence is all about the money and yeah she's yeah i mean god bless like she, uh, how many men have we watched in movies that just you know use women and you know she's right. you know she kind of turned the the coattails so she yeah she uses guys for the money and their influence or whatever you know uses the police to give her you know hot tips and use yeah, you know, whatever yeah. she can do to get ahead and she, um you know she's not she's not afraid to use her sex a little bit her sex appeal i should say to yep. uh to to, you know, to help her career and help her her, her situation right so sure. hey more power to it right exactly um uh but but it is this idea that like um uh you know Faye ray's character is up and doing calisthenics and everything like that and 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 florence is is hung over in bed still <laughs> kind of miserable and stuff you know they they do have two different ethoses ethos i, I don't know yeah um yeah. Uh, definitely but but they definitely don't agree on all these things. So I know Florence kicking. I love that. She like, cannot get out of bed. She's like, oh, just, you know, puts puts the covers back overhead, and yeah. you know, meanwhile Charlotte's trying to look her best for her man Ralph because they're going to look right. happier for after. And exactly, Florence is just a hot mess, right? <laughs> She's a total mess. <laughs> it's funny. Um, so what? So they're gonna um, they're gonna go and they're gonna go visit Ralph at uh, at at the at the wax museum prior to it it opening up. Um, uh, and and that's where uh, we have this moment where where uh, Igor actually meets meets uh, Fay Ray's character. Yeah, sees Charlotte for the first time, and 
just reminds him back in the day when he had the the old wax museum back in 1921 had this beautiful wax statuette of Marie Antoinette. Yes. And so literally if you go back in the film it's this it's Ferré playing the wax dummy that you know ultimately gets right. burned in the fire. So we had kind of this double exposure of um Charlotte Ferré and the old Marie, Ant- Marie Antoinette dummy. So Yeah. Yeah, he's he sees he sees Marie Antoinette in her immediately. So so he we know he's he's uh I mean we at this point like we know we know his plan. Like we, Yeah. We see the wheels turning like, oh, okay, it's going to be this. All right, here we go. And this is and again, I'm not I don't want to mention this George Winton character too much, but this right before this is a really quick clip, a really quick clip of him being released from oh, right. jail. And it looks like he's paying off a judge or something. So basically, he's he's the money guy. And but it doesn't lead really any his, place yeah right? his I dad's mean, men have come to spring him and you know they've they've convinced somebody that there's not enough evidence to hold him or they've bailed him out or, or something like that like there's some exchange of currency so yeah so george is went in as the money guy and yeah um we all know florence hint hint florence you know wants money guys that's the only thing she yeah. cares about and blah 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 oh, so again this this little subplot here that i think totally could have been edited out but just yeah, my opinion I, well you know it shows it shows how money buys you know justice and how the rich don't you know uh mm-hmm. Uh, have to live by the same laws as the rest and thank god that you know it doesn't exist anymore right that's right <laughs> fast forward to 1922 and then oh, 2022 i should say right 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 uh but anyway um uh yeah so so um they 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 go to the the wax museum um we can tell that florence is not a fan of ralph's <laughs> very much um she she i i don't think she has anything against him but she i think she thinks that charlotte could do better yeah i mean ralph is uh you know a poor poor artist right not up to yeah, yeah. certainly not up to far to standards right uh, i mean so. but and yet i mean he's working he's got a job i mean i don't know yeah right regular work in the thing i mean you know the, the characters in these in these films even even igor in the early days in 22 or 21 or whatever like is is broke you know um there's this I, there's this just a stereotype they always play to that artists are always you know kind of struggling and stuff and i mean i guess 20 years of my early adulthood could attest the the truth of that as well <laughs> so so okay um, some things are stereotypes because they're, you know, they're common, I guess. But um, but she anyway. So so while Ralph and Charlotte are talking, um, uh, Florence is is sort of snooping around inside, and she sees the assistants kind of setting up the dummies, and and there's a good one where he 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 puts the the dagger right into uh, Marat's um uh, chest, the the traitor from the French Revolution, kind of yeah. Um, it looks real. She's she gasps. Oh my god, like, yeah. There's some good like bits, you know. Uh, definitely here, a pre- yeah i'm I'm watching it right now and yeah and it's the, it's the dummy just stabs it right into his chest yeah, definitely like, pre-code insertion of a knife into a you know a dummy mm-hmm. chest but there's yeah. no way the hell that's that's allowed in three years from now it's interesting yeah no it's yeah. really funny um and she bumps into igor and she if she doesn't if she i don't think you know she doesn't know instantly what igor is up to but she i think her instincts let her know that there's something not right about this guy right away you know um, yeah she's i mean again she's not a, I, I just gotta go back to this so florence why i'm thinking about like you know charlotte charlotte and ralph you know yeah. nice upstanding young couple you know tr- they're falling in love here and this right. florence is doing nothing but shitting all over ralph like what what a terrible friend she is i mean well, imagine I, being I, charlotte and this is like know, your friend know, right someone that I, literally just doesn't like your boyfriend or you know your, your maybe future fiance because he's not wealthy 
Haven't we all had a relationship though, where like you have a friend of your partner and like nothing you do is going to impress this friend of your partner. They, yeah. they are just set on the fact that, that you are not just good what enough a, what for a their crappy, friend. What a crappy friend. Yeah, I know. Well, you know, yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe, you know, uh, maybe uh, Florence doesn't want to lose Charlotte as a roommate. She might have to pay the whole rent herself or something. Oh, there you, you go. Know, if, if they get married. So maybe she's motivated secretly by that. Um, I like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, but catching up to what you were talking about, how there's there this great moment where we, we had this like double exposure thing where um, uh, Igor, you know, is, he's, he's basically kicking Florence out. Of, of, his, of his place because they're not open yet the door opens ralph's there and then he, he wants to introduce her to his girlfriend for some reason because because <laughs> Igor has so many nice things to say about ralph right <laughs> yeah, this is um, where like Igor is like, i ralph can't win everybody hates no. ralph except for charlotte i know right everybody thinks he's useless the poor guy i mean Igor is just like in total total creep mode at this point like yeah. Yeah. He's not even trying to hide the fact. He's just like ogling, you know, Charlotte. And I mean, just but, but but suddenly we see suddenly we see this genteel, polite, uh, very courteous version of Igor, as of course, as he's as he's interacting with Charlotte, um, uh, that, that we haven't seen and since since the beginning of the film, right? Now he the, the bitter burned, you know, artist guy um goes away for a second, and at least the facade of this, you know, court courteous elder man, you know. Uh, uh, you know, pops up, but of course, at the same time, he's he's leaning into the professor. And he's like, "Are you thinking what I'm thinking?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's right away. Yeah, which is interesting because I mean, maybe there are photographs of his Marie Antoinette, but how has the professor ever seen his Marie Antoinette? I have right, no he would never know exactly. Yeah, yeah, but but somehow they they are they don't even have to say anything. They look at they give each other a look. They're like, "Oh, we got a we got a candidate here." Okay. Yeah, but it's kind of funny. So meanwhile, you know, as all this hubbub is going around with. With Igor and Charlotte, Florence is now getting a better look or a closer look, I should say. He's climbing at, on top of the art. Right. <laughs> so she's at the Joan of Art uh, statue. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, she's, she's trying to put pieces together. So going back to, you know, she's still working on this murder mystery story to help save her job and sees, you know, the the wax dummy of, of Joan of Arc. I right. think at this point she finds like literally literally a toe tag. She does. Yeah. She finds a tag from the morgue that 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 was still in the box that they when they took her out. And you know, we we see it. It's from it's from Bellevue. It's from the hospital. Um she puts it in her pocket and then as she's kind of staring up as the statue, we see like a hand reaches in and like you know plucks that her pocket. So he takes the she loses the evidence. Yeah. I mean um, literally she, a toe tail a toe tag that says Joan Gale yeah. in the box that this Joan of Arc yeah. wax statue is in. So I mean she's almost Florence almost has it figured out at this point point but mm-hmm. um yeah yeah the, uh, the museum itself is really great so, so you know his his original museum in the 20s in 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 london is is uh you know it's, it's sort of like uh it's of an older architectural style it doesn't really specify but it's you know it's an older building so like that this new one has these art deco uh uh you know front wind front doors and everything like that i mean he you know he's he's upgraded the 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 look of the place but he's also um, uh, he has included a few things like there's some Spanish Inquisition mm-hmm. stuff in the background we see. And then there's like a, the weird, like organ grinder, creepy guy and stuff. So he, in, in a way he has embraced like a little bit of the macabre stuff that, that, you know, that, that, uh, Joe Worth was sort of hinting at originally. Yeah, true. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is a weird coincidence that Joan Gale looks like Joan of Arc, that they have the same first name. <laughs> like it's a little bit of a giveaway. Right. But, um, but Florence goes back to the newspaper and um, she requests a uh, a photograph of, of 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 Joan Gale and gets it and is now absolutely convinced that that the statue in in Igor's uh, uh, museum is Joan Gale. But she has to sell it to her editor, who's not ready to believe this exactly. It's a pretty yeah. fantastic idea. 
Well, this is kind of a fun scene. Yeah, she kind of goes back to the, you know, to the newsroom and starts commanding all these men. Goes back to our editor, like, this is what I want. I want photos of Joan Gale, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, he makes a phone call and basically, you know, five or six guys in the newsroom are now all collectively working to help Florence get these photos of what Joan Gale look like. And then, you know, once she sees a picture of Joan Gale, now it all kind of makes yeah. sense that I mean, you, know, you get the idea, like to have gotten even to this position as a as a beat reporter for a metropolitan newspaper and being a woman that that, that Florence does have to have some very select skills. I mean, she she is good at this. Yeah, she's got some you know personal quirks, and I think that's what holds her back a little bit. But she she is a very good detective. Her instincts are right on from the beginning. Yeah, um, it's just her interpersonal uh, uh, way of of acting. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean she's a dog on the bone. The minute she gets in that museum, yeah. she is like sniffing out this Joan of Arc statue while the adults are doing their little chit chat. Right. Yeah, and she's on a mission. She's trying to you know save save her job um she knows what's up. so so florence you know uh also uh, she she figures out a way to she 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 has george win the playboy on on the on her hooks right of course so he's he's kind of charmed by her but there's this other weird connection because george win is hooked up with joe worth because joe worth is a bootlegger um uh that i think that's that's joe, that's joe worth's um kind of main occupation now and i think the body snatching thing is a little bit of like a side gig, yeah you know you know because we're trying to make ends meet um well, it's like the but, arrogance the arrogance of money like winton says to everyone that'll listen oh yeah joe's my bootlegger yeah, oh, that, yeah that's, that's where i get my yeah. that's where i get my hooch from like <laughs> yeah, there, there's this understanding that he's never going to get in trouble for that right right um yeah the, the, again yeah, the, the rules don't apply right um so but there's this bit where of the film where we're sort of we're sort of wondering how he knows joe worth like what's what's his weird connection to him because he shows up and he's kind of waiting for him or something like that in the rain and stuff um so so there's this kind of thing of like, well, now we're seeing him connected to Joe Worth, like maybe George Wynn is somehow involved in the body snatching or, or the death of Joan Gale or something like that, because we know he has a connection to the guy we know has stolen the body. So here's this, here's another thing where it's just like the the the, the, the story is almost a little too smart for its own good. It, it it It's going so many different directions that it is difficult sometimes to to follow. Yeah, I guess, I mean, if you read that, if you read it that way, it would be a great red herring. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that's the idea. He's supposed to be a red herring, but it doesn't quite, you never quite. Well, the problem is because the audience is ahead of the game. We, we know he's not guilty because we know, first of all, we know Lionel Owl was in the movie. And if there's going to be a villain in the movie, it's going to be Lionel Owl because he's Lionel. Yeah. That's the only thing. This movie does kind of tip its hand, maybe a little bit too early. Yeah. With the casting. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that's cast. just how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like if Boris Karloff is in a movie, like he's good, he's probably going to be the villain because why would you hire Boris? Of course you're going to, you know, um, until you get later into like Frankenstein 1980 and stuff, and then maybe not. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> or 1975 or what is it? Frankenstein 75. I can't remember oh which one he's in. Where he's the doctor. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, so, so um, we want to get back to. I mean, I think the next kind of major part in the movie here is when we learn. Well, I guess when we have kind of a meeting with Florence. And Professor Darcy, who's the yeah. drug addict, if you've been listening, and Igor. So we basically learned that Igor, you know, Darcy is a creative mind behind this Joan of Arc. So as Florence starts putting the pieces together and, you know, understands this is something, something off with this Joan of Arc um, wax right. dummy, and basically Darcy is a creator of it. She now sets has her sights set on Darcy, and now this right, kind of leads because Igor's to her. told her it was Professor Darcy, right? She that's she right. Had, like, made him and stuff like that. Yeah, he's like, oh, and crazy. this is now what leads her. You know, is Darcy, you know, packs up his belongings, leaves the, the museum. Yeah. Florence is hot on his tra- on his 
trail to see right, where he right. goes. And now this leads them back to Joe Worth's kind of bootlegging yes. joint, right? Right. Well, yeah, because we have seen now, now, it's, now, because I'm, I'm watching this thing, we have seen now Joe Worth and, and George Wynn kind of together. And now you're like, well, wait, wait, okay. So that's the suspicion thing, the red herring thing we're talking about. Um, the museum has its had sort of a sneak preview opening of some kind. And um, uh, uh, Lionel Owl was, you know, rolling around, leading everyone around, talking about everyone. He pauses, he pauses right next to someone. <laughs> it's my favorite shot in the film, almost. He pauses right next to uh, a, a, a wax dummy of Queen Victoria, who, who absolutely blinks in the middle of the scene. She absolutely. Just, I never thought, Jim. She's, it's great. And now you digitally edit that blink out, but she totally blinks. Jim, so when I, when I just watched this film last night, just to, you know, kind of read Right. I had no idea that was a wax dummy. I thought it was right. somebody at the at the opening, right. and then they show the same dummy later on. I'm like, holy shit! It was supposed to be a wax dummy. Yeah, they just had to cast this. I mean, she looks like a performance artist is sitting there now, right? <laughs> yeah, she totally um, does blink. She's moving. It's, it's she great. blinks. She, she blinks. It's, yeah, it's yeah. cute. She's an older woman. They hire, but she she does look <laughs> frightening, like like Queen Victoria. So okay, I'm so um, glad you brought that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, I mean. The but the opening of the museum is a big success. I mean, there's all these people there, and he's sort of celebrated. I don't know where Igor has gotten the capital to do this. I mean, he's had to rent the the building, and 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 there's an elaborate facade with. I mean, the the lettering that says Wax Museum is all spiky and really neat and Art Deco and Gothic at the same time. And and you know, he's he's hired all these these sculptors. I mean, he is paying these guys, um, and he's built all this stuff. So I don't know where Igor's funding has come from right i mean he was broke in the 20s so now in the 30s somehow he's flushed but you know who knows he's he's now now he's a mastermind criminal he's probably maybe he's killed some people and taken their money i don't know what he's done it's true right i mean he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have got any insurance money because he he was believed dead that's Um, right so yeah joe worth would have walked away with the ten thousand pounds yeah so there's some mysterious backstory that maybe it was cut from the film that how how did he get his uh his means about him but or or maybe it just doesn't matter (laughs) it probably doesn't matter but i mean clearly a guy that'll do anything for his his art and his craft so yeah he probably did kill somebody or rob who knows who but hey hey hey, i'm dedicated to my art too i i I draw a line but hey um (laughs) we'll never know (laughs) yeah all right that's just why i'm not that's why i don't have my own museum um yeah but but it's it's quite a success so so you know is it a success because the dummies are so realistic because the the death of marat one definitely is not realistic that that's a definite dummy that they got from oh yeah somewhere paramount got from somewhere because that is not a, that is not a, that is not a live artist yeah plasticky skin and stuff like that the one of bonaparte uh i don't know it might be it might be real it's, it looks it looks pretty good i don't know um but i i wish i mean i'm sure those records are lost i i wish i would i could know like where did they go somewhere did they find a museum that had to bring in some of these actual pieces or what that's really interesting it um, might have been the dummy hanging in frankenstein you never know yeah but you see igor is like obsessed with oh right take <laughs> <laughs> a second they'll delay there um, I, was hope, I was hoping you'd catch that because yeah like, that's gonna sound really I'm, that's gonna sound really dumb if jim doesn't laugh a little bit. no right yeah well, what's <laughs> Um, uh, you can see Igor. I mean, it's, I guess it's a symptom of the fact of how obsessed he is with the past is that he he has to recreate all these things. He doesn't he doesn't do too many new ones. He he he's basically obsessed with with recreating the the pieces of his that were lost. And and it does show like his again like an unhealthy connection to these to these mm-hmm. pieces of art. I mean. I mean, any, it's a shame I've had, I've lost pieces of art and, you know, when I've moved or something like that, things I've painted and stuff that I'm like, oh, that's a shame. But I've never, I've never been so upset that I've tried to recreate it because it, it just feels like I'm never going to quite get there again. Sure. Um, yeah. But, but he has, I mean, this is his motivation is to do this. Obviously the one motivation, the other one is to get, get back at Joe Worth, whose name is great, right? Joe Worth, right? A criminal named Joe Worth is awesome. It's very pulp. 
<laughs> it, you know, it connotates money. It connotates everything. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, so do I get back to? Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no I was going to say this whole thing. You know, kind of bringing the next, I guess the next you know, piece of film here. Now we've got Florence in the bootleggers or, or Joe Worth's basement, right? Yeah, right. And after you know, after following Darcy and the whole thing, so basically she thinks she's unraveled this whole this whole mystery, this whole crime story. Yeah. In the basement, obviously, she doesn't know that, you know, Joe Worth is a bootlegger. She just sees these, what looks like it could be a, a casket or a coffin. Yes. Um, and basically believes that this is where the body of uh, the model is and right. the authorities and the whole thing. So now this kind of now starts this, this other subplot of Darcy being turned by the police, which we can get to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, well, I, I actually do think, I think it's the same casket. I think, I think Joe Worth, you know, being a businessman, um, repurposes the the box they bring because they don't need it for Joan Gale anymore now now that she's been set up at the museum. So so Joe Worth repurposes that box and uses it for his bootlegging because you know hey boxes are you know it's a depression right <laughs> it's a nice looking box yeah yeah it's a good it's a good solid box um but but so there is a fun scene but she's she's down there and um is it before or after the cops uh come in and and laugh at her and stuff it's it's after um that it's before I mean it's before the cops show she goes down in this basement. And it's creeping around. And then, you know, the the burnt version of Igor comes creeping down, right? Yes, yes. Doing his thing. And and this is just, first of all, this basement set with the, there's a railing on the stairs that, you know, instead of the post of the railing going straight up, they go at a 45 degree angle along with the stairs, which is really, maybe it's a 30, I don't know. It's a really creepy looking, it's very expressionistic. It's really cool. It's something you you would have seen in uh, in uh, Flory's uh, uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue or something. It's, yeah, it's, I think they have one color like, now. Yeah, again, like like Young Frankenstein. I'm trying to think like when they right. go walking down. I think there's the same type of railing. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, no, it's it's and it's just all lit with these greens and stuff. And then and mm-hmm. then whenever you see the burned version, he's he's underlit kind of with with the red, and it just it just pops yeah. in from the because it, it does the the way the color works. It almost works a little bit like it looks like you're looking at a 3D movie without your glasses on right you know it it yeah. the color's surreal and expressionistic and and not because again like i said it's not it's not true color it's like a weird way they developed to fake color um well it kind of uh, kind of smudges against each other like depending on like how it's backlit yeah. and it's almost yeah, like yeah. a smudgy effect to it so that's a great yeah, that, yeah it's a great explanation of it. Yeah. it does it looks like if you took off like your 3d glasses mm-hmm. During a movie, it's like, oh, okay, that's yeah. That's and I think it's it, you know. And again, I'll just say again, like, thank God to UCLA and and um and the Lucas Family Foundation because because you could see like this. It's also um I don't think it was a very stable iteration of 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 color process. So so the over time that the the actual film elements had started turning extra green and stuff like like you you started losing all the rosier colors and people's faces started looking odd and stuff and in the again in the documentary they do about the restoration they show how they digitally went back in and kind of managed to pull that back out and get that separation because they're using again Curtis is just such a brilliant guy he's using color he's he's using the warm faces and the, the cool backgrounds to to create this amount of depth that exists in this movie that really makes it pop it's really just yeah it's nice Definitely. Because I, they didn't have that much control over how the color works. There's sometimes where I'm pretty sure the color just went a little further than they planned, and they were just like, "Oh, okay, you know, <laughs> we're going to go for it." Um, uh, anyway, so but we it is a great scene where the guy's stalking her and she's hiding from him and everything. She's like, "Oh, you know, because you, you just it's classic monster movie stuff, right?" Yeah, I mean, it happens, but you know. from a, from a woman that doesn't get you know who isn't skittish, right? Who isn't afraid of anybody? Right, who's right. not afraid of man or police? She is exactly. terrified. <laughs> you see her, you see her really, really freaked out. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's really um, funny. yeah. It's a good scene. That's a great scene. So yeah, kind of freaks out and then makes her way kind of out of there and alerts the police that she's found the body of Joan Gale. And, you know, mm-hmm. they make their triumphant, um, you know, entrance into this basement and, you know, kind of find out it's just a big box of liquor and she looks foolish. And um, yeah. I, I, I don't know if you were getting this point, but the, she makes the line of uh, a Frankenstein, which I thought was kind of cool. So, oh, no, right. She references the, yeah, just really made. Oh, she, yeah. So she's trying, she's explaining to the police what this monster guy looked like in her quote was made Frankenstein look like a lily. Yeah, which yeah, I thought was so kind of cool. So Frankenstein, the year before from a different movie studio, is already being referenced in a Hollywood picture. Yeah, kind of cool. self-referential. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's really funny. Um, uh, it's yeah. So 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 the police show up, and they they all they of course all know Florence. Like you know she's she's you know the, they, the police captain and stuff. So they um they barge in, but they do arrest a couple of the guys, and one of the guys they arrest is Professor Darcy, right? Right. So Darcy, when he sees a police arrive, takes off from the house. So a couple of the, the officers run after him, the rest right. storm the basement. So yeah, by the time they kind of figure out what's going on with Florence, they bring Darcy back. So they're kind of escorting him back to police headquarters for questioning. Yeah. And meanwhile, which is just a great scene, Florence starts taking the bootleggers, the liquor is like her payment. So she's going to take all this liquor <laughs> and bring it back, which, which is fantastic. The consolation prize. Yeah, right, right, right. right. Yeah. That's like her tax for helping the police, you yeah. know, doing whatever they're doing. So she's going to take, you know, a few bottles back to her apartment to get wasted. And well, she didn't get the story, which means she's probably going to get fired. So I guess true. But that was like, that was a great, just, that was just like a great little, great little, you know, blip in this movie. That was yeah, fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it no, was really funny. Um, no, the whole scene's very good. So they, they get professor Darcy back, in in the police things and they're 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 gonna sweat him out um meaning like he's he's coming down off of his high yeah and they're gonna not give him anything they're not gonna give him coffee or water or anything and you know so the cops are are you know letting him letting him get to the point where he's gonna crack because they 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 know this type of guy and they, they know he's gonna exactly i was gonna say that they've been through this before they said like, this he's detoxing just it's just it's a waiting game we're gonna outweigh him and at yeah, some point yeah. he's gonna just he's gonna break right right and it's neat like the you know the cops in this they're they're not clueless like so often in a movie yeah. like this that the cops have to be clueless for the main characters to be more heroic but the cops here are pretty the the, the main detective guy's pretty tough he's pretty like no you nonsense of, right you think of some of those london bobbies that we've seen in some of the universal films like that's yeah, not yeah, this. yeah right <laughs> right no 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 these these guys they're good at their job they know how to do it but so the one thing they find they find this like bit of evidence in on on professor darcy they find oh uh there, there's a another one of the 32 subplots um there's a famous judge that disappeared at some point in the, in the months or year before this this film the, you know, the story takes place um and they find the guys like a like a, a, a what do you call it um uh, engraved uh, uh you know a pocket name watch. on a watch on a, on a pocket watch yeah and they're like why does this guy have this thing but then you realize that that the judge is now voltaire right like he's <laughs> Uh, he possibly uh maybe one of uh one of igor's first victims in 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 this new iteration of the museum right he, he killed a judge no less he's fearless i mean this, this he killed like an important guy igor doesn't care yeah the judge had a resemblance looks like voltaire, looks like voltaire so yeah he that made him a victim <laughs> igor killed him somehow and somehow yeah. the professor wound up with his pocket watch and yeah. and that was kind of the, that was kind of now the professor's undoing so he basically now opens up he's not only detoxing but yeah. they basically have him dead to rights like he's got this dead judge's pocket watch and his possession yes and basically gives up gives up everybody gives up igor and, and right. kind of the whole thing right 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 and then um, I, I think that's where he had that that great quote of like the whole place is just a morgue right? the whole place is a morgue yeah exactly um and and speaking of we we cut to uh igor's wax 
laboratory, you know, is the place where, where he, he does his work. And there's this giant vat of, mm. of boiling wax with all these huge rivets around it. They're the structural things of the building above go through it, all these, you know, kind of angles and they're all these riveted things. And there's, you know, and there's gizmos and there's all, there's all the, it's like, it's, it's strict fat esque stuff with cut different colored bulbs and neon lights and things like that. in this big thing where the wax pours down onto this operating table, it's, it's absolutely like a Frankenstein mad scientist laboratory. Totally. They, yeah. You know, yep. it, in the guise of this being a completely conventional wax figure casting kind of thing, it's that's what it is. It's really incredible. It looks really expensive. And do you point him? Where the hell did he get the money for I this? Know, I know this is like the because yeah, he doesn't have backers now. He's he's self he's self funded. So I don't know. Is it is he is he is he taking? Yeah, I, I, I yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a mystery. It's, it's I mean, a mystery Henry Henry Frank thing. Henry Frankenstein was a baron's son, so of course he comes from means. Like right, right. I, I don't know. The real mystery of the wax museum is how the F did he afford to do all this? Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's the real one. Um, but it's a great, uh, it sets us up. We're like, Oh, this is, this is it. You know? And, and obviously this is where the finale of the film is going to take so, place. So we, it's we, funny, man. We go through long stretches of this movie where there's no Fay Ray. And honestly, I mean, I, I don't feel like she's missed too much. I mean, she's not given a whole ton to do. Right. No, no, no her characters, about, Yeah. Yeah. Her character is um, really there to do that scream at the end of the movie. I mean, that's really what they it's like. Someone was like, it's worth bringing her right. into this. And it's her name. On, it's a name on the title card. She gets the big screen. But yeah. really, this is Florence's movie. So basically, yeah. now we're kind of into act, you know, the final act, the act three of this film. Yes. And now Charlotte is now back at the museum looking for Ralph and meets Igor. And mm-hmm. he's, you know, full on creep mode and says, well, you know, Ralph is in the basement in the same room that Jim was just describing kind of where the, right. the giant vat is and the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and basically sends her down there and we kind of assume what happens. You know, there's no mm-hmm. Ralph, but, you know, little secret door opens up and, you know, he comes, Igor comes rolling in and uh, yeah. Full on creep mode, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, yeah, because, because she, what, so Florence goes back to the, 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 you know, the, the, the guy one more time, her, her editor one more time, and, and it, her whole thing is unraveling and stuff. Yeah. But I don't know what, so, so Florence, or no, so, so, so Charlotte goes back to the museum, and this, here's where we have, you're right, there's an executioner and the eyes follow her. So yeah. it does, it violates all the rules of the movie, but it's like, honestly, it's, it's a cool shot. So, right. Who the hell is in the executioner's? it doesn't matter it's very like you said very scooby-doo just eyes just moving for no reason whatever it's fine um um, and then you know so so she's (laughs) looking i guess she's looking for ralph looking for ralph for whatever reason yeah Yeah. whatever reason but then she meets the mute and the mute sort of gets up and starts threatening her yeah yeah yeah. i mean he comes almost upon her and igor rolls out and you know the mute scampers away and then igor you know his you know, oh, he's her. Yeah, he's her savior, right? He's, he's a like, savior. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, everything right, right, will be right. fine, my lady. Somebody. And also, like, there, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it is the lighting. I don't know if it's the, it's the thing. But, but, um, uh, Adwell's makeup at this point, like his face is looking a little more weathered and a little more mm-hmm. haggard or something like that. And maybe I, my, if I wanted to infer something, I would say like I think it's because it's the end of the night, and I'll bet his, I'll bet his wax masks that he wears over his burned face um probably only last 24 hours or a few hours or something like that you know and i think it, the idea is his it's his mask is already starting to go for the night and he's gonna have to take it off and put a new one on the next day because he looks worse than he did before i, I think it's interesting if the filmmakers are, are, are paying that much attention to detail i love it i mean that, yeah. that makes total sense i hope i hope 
I hope that's the case. He definitely looks worse. And I don't know. Like, oh, yeah. It could just be the way the color works or something like that. But yeah, I, I definitely believe it. Um, and I'll just pretend that that, that was intentional. I love it. Yep. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so he sends her downstairs. Oh, Ralph's downstairs. You're right. He, like you're saying, he, he sends her downstairs and she goes down. And and uh, Fairy also, Fairy wore these little hats all the time in these movies. And she always looked really good in them. Like she always, like, in, you know, and she wears the really iconic one in the beginning of uh, of King Kong. And she's, now she's wearing this little kind of thing. Um, I don't know who, who dressed her for, for these movies. They didn't. They didn't have uh, Vera West, right? But uh, <coughs> but 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 she's never dressed fancy either in the movie. She's she, I, do, do we ever see what? Are we ever told what she does for a living? Does she have a job? She must have some. Kind no, of it's no. I mean, like you say, she's not like overly regal. Like she looks like mm-hmm. you know, she and Ralph are kind of you know struggling. Right, not young people. I I don't know. I have no she, idea. She obviously she... has to share an apartment with another girl. You know. So yeah. Yeah. You know, just whatever. But but we never. You know, she she dresses kind of smartly the day she shows up. Um, to, and and meets Igor the person she's wearing this kind of red thing with a matching hand something she just looked pretty pretty snazzy but she's out for a date for with Ralph so obviously she's you know, dressed up a little bit for for her guy but anyway I just like the idea that she, there's never this moment where she shows up in this amazing gown for no reason right right exactly <laughs> big hot big hot dinner date with her love but You're like how's she buying that yeah it's not not so much to be though so yeah basically she's locked in the basement of this uh, the wax museum and um, I guess this is when we get you know Igor right. full on full on creepy man, you know, kind of rolls up to her and, you know, stands right. up and almost, you know, I don't know if he puts his hands on her, but you know, looks her dead in the eyes with those creepy eyes and says, you know, you're my Marie Antoinette. And she has uh, lets loose that, that big scream. Well, well and, and then he stands up. So you realize yeah, yeah, yeah. that the, the, I mean, we already know this, but, but the, the wheelchair is a total ruse that he uses. And I'm not sure why he feels the need to, to do that, but it's just part of his disguise right as part of his clark kent it is yeah i mean he turns into like full-on batman here shortly once you know we get, <laughs> we get the fight scene with him and ralph yeah. but uh yeah i mean kind of he doesn't quite jump up out of the the wheelchair but you know stands up and well, he climbs up with the with the crutches so you're like okay but then he just yeah. ditches them and then you realize it's it's his whole his whole thing and and ad will he goes for it here I, I will say like he he you see like the sanity starts slipping away and he loses his the, you know, because he's got the physical mask, but he's also got the the personality mask, like the you know that he pretends not to be a crazed maniac, and and he loses control of that at this point and starts yeah. grabbing her and ranting and 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 being all crazy and stuff. It's maybe a little big, but it's you know it's interesting. But, it's, but he does. I mean, he turns Frankenstein, right? He go, he goes all monster on her, right? And it's and this is the the great reveal. So again, I mean, we've already spoiled it for you guys listening, but at this point, she's in full defensive mode, so she's got the clenched fist and just starts pounding his face. And meanwhile, the max the wax that you didn't you know just assumed was his skin yes. starts falling off, starts cracking, and falling off. Yeah, that's right. Revealing yeah, this yeah. you know absolutely hideous, real burnt face of of Igor. Right, right, right. So. Yeah. Come um, to find we, out, what we thought was this man just wearing a, a mask as disguise is the face of of Igor. Of it's course, this this hideous, which which of course is is bigger than his head anyway, because there's makeup on top of it. And so you're kind of like, how does the mask mask fit on top of that? His head would be like the size of a Charlie Brown character, but it's okay. <laughs> um, you know, that's what it is. Um, but so Ralph just sort of shows up. Ralph, she was here to meet Ralph, and Ralph is late or something like that, and she's telling him like. She all the, all her uh, Florence, I should say, is, is telling him all the, her suspicions about what's happening. And Ralph's like, "What? I don't understand what's happening." I mean, he's he's worse than than a David Manners character. He's just he's just a useless. T- 
Yeah. No, he's just I'm a- starting to be on Florence's side in this. I'm just like, I think, I think, I think Charlotte could do better. I think she could probably do a lot, but yeah, he just seems like kind of a dope and whatever. Like, yeah. but ultimately they hear, they hear her scream, right? She's being attacked by this yes. Igor and yes. which leads now Ralph into the basement. It intercuts now with, with, with the professor now at the thing. And he's, he's the one telling the police, fine. This is where he finally breaks. He's like, that whole place is a morgue, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Florence is again, which is going to, I'm just going to keep beating this, this horse, right? This dead horse is like Florence is the one like she's in the lead. She's the one now she's 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 put it together. She has the picture of the judge and she's like, okay, looks just like the guy. And you know, meanwhile, this there's this you know two part action now where now yeah, you're right. She's uh, uh, Igor's going going off on her and and Fay Ray starts pounding him and, and and reveals his his face and she screams and and right at the moment where Ralph kind of manages to get into the thing. Right. And then we've got kind of Enter the Dragon part 2. I mean it's not anything compared to that first fight um from the 1921 scene, but you know we've got a pretty good fight here so Igor is now up from the wheelchair and he is moving again. He's like Batman, um, yeah. you know, j- jumping up and down stairs and he's beating up police. <laughs> it just knocks Jim down. I mean, the fight goes on for a minute and then he just knocks Jim down the stairs and he falls down and yeah. he's out. He's out. He's out of the game. Now. He's like, so it's, it's, yeah. He's yeah. like total Bruce um, Lee mode. Like this guy that's been in a wheelchair. He's like totally kicking ass yeah, until someone did, decides to pull out a gun and, and shoots him. But right, anyway, right, before right. that he was, he was, it was great. Yeah. Um, I mean, Atwell's definitely doubled here with somebody else in the makeup. And oh, I, yeah. I, I honestly think it's probably, it's probably the same guy who doubled him in the, um, you know, in the, in the original fight scene. Um, but he, um, I think he, is it just me or is this some of the scenes with Adwell, even when he's just creeping around in the makeup, I, I'm not sure it's him. I think they might've had a double doing his thing. I just can, you know, it's like, Adwell has that certain type of bearing, Yes, shoulders and things. Yeah. Sometimes when he's moving around, even like I said, without not in the fight scenes, um, it doesn't it doesn't look like him. I'm with you. No, no, no. Yeah, he does. He has a very distinct body shape, whatever it is. He's, you know, even though he's a little bit little bit leaner than he was in the in the later, you know, films of the 40s. It's not the same guy. Um, it's just the, yeah, the body language. Okay, so so yes. that's just me. Yeah, the language yes. definitely looks a little weird. So so he um he might have you know honestly he might have had a bad reaction to the makeup or something. You never know. Um uh, you know some people's skin operates differently than other people's and and so like John Reese Davies had horrible problem with the prosthetics on Lord of the Rings. It just it just the, the things that work on some people don't work with others, and that's just the nature of you know chemical and makeup and your own body's pH balance and all that whatever stuff. Um so so with Jim you know safely out of the way. Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, he, he does, he starts, um, he starts filling up the, the reservoir with the wax and he wheels, uh, Charlotte's body underneath it. And somehow most of her clothes come off. And I'm not, we, I, I think that's a deleted scene. Cause I think I've seen a few shots, um, uh, like still grabs or something like that from scenes of like that, which I would, I wouldn't be surprised if that scene didn't, didn't make the cut. Cause that even for, even for pre-code, that may be a little, you know, I, I don't know what you so oh, and so on. Igor is undresses her for the table. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because suddenly she's just in like a little like rope, like thing a negligee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, a typical whatever. Um, uh, I just you know I love he's he's filling up the syringe and he's gonna you know you know whatever and she screams and he just looks over with this disdain like he doesn't see her as a person anymore. He sees her. He sees her as potential. You know mm-hmm. she she could be his Marie Antoinette and you know he, her her boyfriend's unconscious. Like the, his whole plan is going to hell here. But he's still obsessed with turning her into Maria. Like, you know, I mean, he's he's holding on to this plan for, you know, for, right. for dear life. Yeah. No, she's uh, yeah. She's not a human being. She's just like a vessel to, you know, let him complete his his mad his mad plan here. Yes. Yes. But um, I love the table there. Like he comes, you know, really. It reminds me of like, you know, the Glenn Strange and like House of Frankenstein where he spends right. the entire movie just laying on a slab. And yeah, this is yeah, like, yeah. you know, yeah, here yes. we are. Like, yeah. Um, 
there's a great moment where the police actually use that coffin thing to bust down the door to get in. Yeah. <laughs> like that coffin gets repurposed a few times. It's really kind of funny. Um, there, I have a note here about what happens to Joe Worth. Joe, Joe Worth somehow gets, does he get killed or arrested or something he's like that? Killed. I, he he's falls dead out of one of like the boxes. Oh, is that yeah. what it is? That's right. That's right. Yeah, we do yeah. find He's like tied thing. up in something and he just falls dead. So I don't know that, if he was going to be used as a, a wax dummy for for something that's somebody what it is. yeah it's right at the end yeah yeah but but that is sort of the end result of igor's uh you know revenge on him yes I mean, finally he's i guess he's lived out his usefulness but yeah this yeah. guy running around the catwalks is definitely not i'm sorry it's not it's not lionel atwell no um, and who falls no. into the into the uh into the the, the wax which i feel like it i think it's basically just boiling water that they might have put gelatin in or something i don't know and then they colored it with lights so so it does it really sells is it's boiling wax i mean it's really Oh, it looks it great and get the steam. Absolutely not want to fall into, right? Look at the steam coming up and yeah. oh, it's great. So yeah, Igor gets shot by one of the police, falls into the vat of wax, which, you know, the the irony of that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, obviously Ralph runs over and has his one one, his heroic, one heroic moment and moves the table five inches to the side and uh, the wax pours down and saves Charlotte's little life. So yeah, just 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 as the wax starts dipping down and stuff like that, it's really so so good for him. Um yeah, he gets his the, the process is sort of I mean, did they just coat her in wax? Because that seems like that would I mean, I mean, when he he when Igor does this professionally, right? For you know, the the Joan of Arc or whatever like that, like like um, I don't know what the process is by just pouring wax on top of a human body. Does the body then decay know. inside the thing and you're left with just a wax shape? I don't know. It's it seems like there still has to be a lot of like because even Atwill's, even Igor's uh face, I mean he's got a beard and and a hair and stuff. So he on top of the wax face, he's got to have I'm overthinking this, obviously, but he's gotta uh-huh. have, you know, you know, a, a threaded beard and, and hair and a wig and, he's got and like a, che- a mole on his cheek. It's a lot of a lot of attention to detail. Right. And what I mean. You know, if you if you did yourself, if you if you were able to redo yourself with makeup, wouldn't would you like make yourself a little more handsome or something? I could, <laughs> I could have a better jaw, you know. I could just just a little subtle. It's like, it's like doing a little work on yourself, right? Uh, I mean, we're only seeing his face. God knows what else he did to himself using wax. Right, I'm just, right. I'm just gonna leave it there. I mean, this is this is Lionel yeah. Atwell after all. I assume, I assume the rest of his body it matches his hands and stuff. Yeah, but, but anyway. Um, Anyway, so we do have this. Uh, it's it is, and ironically, it is a bit like uh, House of Horrors, where uh, um, uh, Florence turns in her her piece uh, on on the thing, and and all the all the guys in the in the bullpen are congratulating her, and she's going to mm-hmm. go give the the her editor, um, you know, um, you know, some something, some 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 uh, some of her mind, you know, yeah, and then he he basically just pops a question, and she goes, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so the, again, or, I mean, like, he fired. No, he fires her, but then she decides she's going to go. Wait, did, did she marry him or does she marry George Wynn? No, so she marries the editor. So again, this is the whole thing with this oh, whole right. this whole Winton character. So she, so Winton again, he's now the driver. So drives Florence yeah. back to the news station or to the news place, and as she walks into Joe, the editor's room. She looks out the window and sees Winton standing by the car, you know, ready to get cockled. Okay, you're right. And so he's, again, he represents, he's the money guy. She could be with him and, you know, probably live happily ever after with means. Or he, she could be with this editor who she's been sassing the entire time. Right. Who she, but, you know, might, you know, love, but whatever. Yeah. So this is, again, okay, this I, is I, now. I forgot that whole. Okay. I was thinking she marries Wynn, but she marries the editor. Okay. Marries the Apologies editor, yeah. Because she chooses her marrying Winton at the end. She chooses. I mean, this again. So that she chooses love over money. So she does. Okay. Good for her. Then, 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 then I am okay with this ending. That's great. And maybe the, <laughs> maybe the, they're that couple that. They drive each other crazy, but it's just a symptom of, you know, their affection, right? Okay. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah. So choose okay. love over I money. Take it, I take it back. The whole reason why Winton was in this movie to me is like this little, this little 
payout at the very very end of the movie this this whole other subplot <laughs> he's just left holding his gloves by like the literally yeah to- total david man is holding his you know dingling and while she I'll, goes and marries this other guy i'll just i'll 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 i'll, I'll give him five stars for that i like that um, <laughs> uh, i i you know i would have it's a shame i would have watched three more movies about Florence uncovering other weird, almost like Kolchak Night Stalker, right? I love it. Where she could have like, there's, isn't there a possibility of like a bunch of other movies where she, you know, she investigates something else where like something's going on and stuff and, and she solves these crimes. I think the character could have gone on and on and on. It would have been great. Imagine her like she Wolf of London, like investigating this, like the murder. And she she discovers like, they're all just lying to you. Yeah, yeah, there's no, you're not there's a no werewolf. werewolf. Yeah, I, I think again, it would have been like an early Kolchak Night Stalker or something. I think it would have been a good series. But um, I, um, I again, like I, I don't think this movie. I, I don't know how successful this movie was, but I don't think it was successful enough to justify the extra expense that 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 Warner Brothers put into the the colorization of it and stuff. So, I was so actually, on I was paper, reading I about it, it sounds like it was actually really successful. This was, was like it the, really okay. It was the fifth. Um, at my memory, I'm trying to think back. I think it was right. the fifth highest grossing film of the year. Mm-hmm. So this was a very successful no. film for them. Yeah. Which, which is successful. But then again, like you have to offset against like, like how much was the budget, you know, blown up by the color exactly. process and stuff. And how does that affect it? You know, right or wrong. That's right. In, in the bookkeeper's eyes, do they look at it and go, well, you know, that's um, right. Cause Warner brothers doesn't, they don't do a heck of a lot of horror after the, you know, in, in the next few years after this, they, they sort of, I don't know what else, what other stuff they have that, 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 you know, we should be paying attention because we'll have to cover it at some point. But yeah, um, I don't, but, I don't know a lot about Wanda brothers, like really yeah. until like the eighties, but yeah. um, they were a really prestige studio more so than, than universal Warner, Jack Warner. I mean, they were, they were a big deal and they, you know, they, they had a lot of Westerns. They had a lot of other types of types of films they were doing. Um, They're big in the war movies. Um, So, so the, you know, horror just wasn't really their niche. And I think Curtiz, you know, this, this is Michael Curtiz a little bit earlier on in his American career. Um, building up a, a reputation and from here he goes on and he does captain blood and then of course he does robin hood and then of course he does you know uh casablanca he does what is generally considered the second or third greatest american film of all time you know um so he's not going back to doing horror after that yeah no right? of course not yeah yeah um by all means we were just talking last episode about carl Freud not always being the friendliest guy on set to deal with uh, uh by all by all accounts michael curtis was not as well and and wasn't uh always super popular with his his female uh, uh leads um uh in 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 the films he did um but uh but but um uh i don't i don't know any anecdotes about uh, stories or something from the making so maybe our maybe some of our followers do i don't know it'd be interesting to hear yeah it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot written on you know, the behind the scenes of this film, there really isn't yeah. much out there. And I think like to your point, I think this one was kind of forgotten and kind of in, um, you know, kind of rediscovered only years later, but yeah, I'm not, there's not a whole ton on this that I can I think find. This is, like a t- this is like a TCM kind of, kind of rescue. I think, exactly. I think in, in putting yeah. that, putting it out, I think, I think they raised awareness of, of the, you know, the specialness of, of this particular, uh, you know, chapter in, 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 you know, 30s horror history. And I'm, I'm just glad they did. And again, uh, one more time, I'm just, I'm just thankful for the restoration because it just, it's, it's really an enjoyable watch now. Yeah, no, like you said, yeah, any listeners that know, a heck of a lot more about this film than you and I. I'd love, you know, hop hop on our board. I'd love to, you know, get some behind the scenes, you know, yeah. insight on this one. Cause again, I'm not I'm not finding a whole time, but I would lo- I, I love this film. I'd love to learn more yeah. about it. And just have a discussion and, and raise awareness on this film. Cause I think, you know, like we always say, like, you know, you know, 
Brighter Frankenstein doesn't exactly need us to to boost its signal. It's a pretty celebrated film, but I think there are some of these other ones like this and like, you know, um, you know, Tower of London and, and House of Horrors and some other lesser known ones that I think, you know, could could use like a little more recognition because there's some specialness to them. Absolutely. No, this is a this is a special. Like you said, this is a good one. This is a really yeah, good man. one. I'm glad we finally got to it. I'm excited. Yeah. This is this is great. Okay, cool. Absolutely, man. Oh, thanks so much. Really yeah. talking with you and I really love the insight of uh, not only the technical or um, technicalities, but, um, you know, just yeah. hearing, hearing a film that you, you love and you're, you yeah. know, get some personal connection with. So that's always fun, man. Yeah. When we announced the series, this is, this is one of the first ones I wrote down. I was like, well, I'm definitely talking about this one. <laughs> nice. But before we kind of committed to doing all of them, right. We were going to do some now we're like, ah, oh, we're just going to do all We're all in, we're all in now. Yeah. Yeah. So next episode, we're going to hopefully be talking about Nosferatu, right? We get the hundred year anniversary coming up here. So yeah. we kind of have to do that. Right. So we need to get it in. I'm very excited. That's another one that's, I mean, that's, you know, I, I came into mystery of the wax museum a little later in my, in my more towards adulthood, but uh, Nosferatu is something I saw at a pretty young age and it was like a big influence on me. It was a big influence on my first film, Prometheus triumph. And so I'm kind of excited to get into it. Awesome. Cannot wait. All right. All right, bud. Cool. Good talking with you and um, yeah. talk to you all guys later on the Borgo pass horror podcast. Talk soon. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening to this episode, but the fun does not stop here. You can follow and interact with the show's hosts and listeners online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The Borgo Pass Horror Podcast is a presentation of Shadow Camera Film and Entertainment. This episode was edited by Livio Marino. The music was composed by Sean Poole. Opening and closing narration are by me, Kat Herons. Show titles and graphics created by Jim Towns. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Borgo Pass Horror Podcast. Podcast.